What's up, LL Nation? We are back. We just left Irish Breakdown. We are back to talk about and continue the discussion about the press conference today. Marcus Freeman, what he had to say, Jack Swarbrick. We're going to be playing clips from both of those gentlemen, key points that we felt like were vitally important to what they wanted to portray. And I think they kicked the door in today on college football and said Notre Dame is not the same. Meet the new Notre Dame. So Brian Driscoll, he did have a prior engagement. He's going to be joining us shortly. So go ahead, hit the share, hit the subscribe, hit the like button, hit that that bell too, get the, all of the notifications and let you know when we are locked in right here. Brian Driscoll will be ahead in about 10 minutes. So we're going to talk about Marcus Freeman, but we're going to talk about just how close Notre Dame is. One of the most important things that I think that stood out is not only what Marcus Freeman had to say, but I want to start with what Jack Swarbrick had to say. Jack Swarbrick was very open about the process, the vetting of one Marcus Freeman. He was also open about meeting with the captains of this team. And I don't know if you guys know this, if you've seen pictures or not, when they entered into the indoor practice facility, you had the Freeman family, then you had Jack Swarbrick, Father Jenkins, and behind them were the captains and then the rest of the football team. And that scene had to be glorious and it represented one accord, in my opinion. Like, this is who we are. We have each other's back. We have this young man's back. And now it's time for the Marcus Freeman era to begin. I thought that was very poignant. I've seen the photo all over social media. Matter of fact, we retweeted it on Lucky Lefty Pod on Twitter and Instagram. So without further ado, Jack Swarbrick had an opportunity to share with everybody what it was like to meet with the 11 captains and to discuss the future head coach of Notre Dame, whomever that would be. After I introduced this topic to the team captains, they explained they had a different agenda. They were passionate, they were articulate, they were convincing, but what they insisted I understand was that they had built the best culture in college football. That they have friends playing at other places around the country they have a way to make that assessment, and they were confident that this culture in this program was the best in the country. But they, were also, they also wanted me to know that they owned that culture. They built it. It was theirs. And their message, stated clearly and convincingly, was, Jack, don't screw this up. I got the message. In short, they convinced me that I had two separate tasks in front of me. One was to select the best possible coach to lead the program. The other was to protect the culture they had built. Yo, you know, everybody wanted the main entree, which is Marcus Freeman. Mm -hmm. But that piece of the appetizer that was, that came from Jack Swarbrick was so vitally important to me. And it's one of the things that stood out the most. So, and I said this on Irish Breakdown, and now that I'm here with you, 
I want to throw, I want to give you your flowers, bro. And, and and I can say it not only from watching you play, but I want to give you your flowers for how you comport yourself as a Notre Dame man. Because we've had several conversations about how things went down with you. We've had several conversations about Brian Kelly. And not once have you stepped out uh, outside of what it is to be a Notre Dame man and represent that culture. And you have been nothing but a bastion of integrity in our conversations. And not that I was trying to bait you, but you never took the bait. <laughs> no, no, you never took the bait to bash your head coach, bro. Like yeah. Every answer, every time I've spoken to you about anything negative that took place, you had so much respect for the culture and the brotherhood that's you were unselfish and you pushed your personal feelings aside to always state what would be best for the brotherhood and the culture of Notre Dame. And that was exemplified in what Jack Swarbrick said about meeting with the captains. It's, it's your culture, bro. Yeah, straight up. Like it belongs to you all. The culture of Notre Dame football belongs to you and everybody else that came into that locker room in the, in the 12 years. That got it to this point. No, straight up. And we give credit to Brian Kelly for being the head coach and being the head of that. But the core of Notre Dame being on the cusp of a national championship, it belongs to you, your your brothers, and the current players on their roster. So as your bro and co-host on this show, I want to give you your flowers, man, and say thank you as a fan. Man, we that we can be proud of as a fan base and move forward. I appreciate you and the efforts that you and all of your teammates put forth to establish the culture that exists today. Man, I appreciate that so much, man, because it means a lot, especially going through what you could do and what you want to say and want to do, but still staying on beat because you know what it really means in a bigger picture. Plus, you got you gotta think about these like the Mark Jackson years. You know, we 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 built the steps and the Clays and the Jason Richardsons and the Baron Davis. We put them together early on, and now we're ready to to take that next step with Coach Freeman and start winning these championships. But the foundation is definitely laid and set. It just is taking the right guy to to uh, stand on that and, and and get it rolling for us. Oh, absolutely. So I'll get to one of these comments, and then we're gonna bring Brian Driscoll in because you know me. Um, you know, Brian's very diplomatic sometimes. <laughs> we, this is we spend it different. This is lucky lefty. Like we mm -hmm. go head first into it. So you know, if you're gonna be in the chats, you know, don't don't shoot the gun and then run and hide. Yeah, don't shoot the gun and don't run. Shoot the gun and run and hide. So you know, we got Reed Wilson. Oh no, dude, don't. Oh, dude, stop. Don't try and act like you're giving Brian Kelly his props. I, man, I've been open and honest about my opinions. I just gave Malik Zaire his props for not going the route that most people will go. Because it's too and, easy. It's too easy to do. It's too easy. And for those players st staying the course and not allowing what they experience within the culture of that program that they can only speak to, not allowing it to fracture them and That's the right. brotherhood they have. That's mm -hmm. the reason why Notre Dame is at this place, along with what Brian Kelly brought to the university. So it has nothing to do with giving Brian Kelly his props. My props went to the players on yeah. today. 
And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. That's but right. that's who bears the most responsibility and should get the most flowers for what's been done in this football program for the last five years, specifically because that's the run Notre Dame has been on to get the two college football playoffs and over the last 12 years. Yeah, absolutely. Don't shoot the gun and run. We're not those, we are not those dudes, not these not dudes. dudes. Not at all. No, not we're not all. those dudes. We spend it totally different. We spend it different and we tell the truth. And that's, that's it. Hard to Point find. blank. So let's bring in a guy, Brian Driscoll. I don't I, he probably was playing nice guy. I think he was on WSBT, the local station, talking about things. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to the comments and questions because people have been waiting. They brought all brought over their comments and questions from the show we just did on Iris Breakdown. So, you know, give me a second to um, set Brian up, man, because I want to make sure we set him up right. Get him in there. All right. There we go. Bring my brother in now. There we go. I'm unmuted and everything. Like I made sure I was like, is it is the is the thing flashing? No, we're good. Okay. Yeah, see, Brian, you know, we just had once again, we just had an opportunity where I tried to be positive. I tried to throw flowers at the feet of Notre Dame players for the culture. They deserve it today. Jack Swarbrick spoke about it. And you know, everybody wants it. Well, you taking a dig at Brian Kelly. Look, man. There's only one person in the chat doing that, and it's an LSU fan. I mean, that, that it, 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 it has nothing to do with taking a shot at Brian Kelly. Look, I speak for the fan base. We're happy. Yes. Like, don't get it twisted. Don't act like we're bitter. We're right. a bitter fan base. No, no, we're happy. We, we've been looking for the out for a long time. We've been looking for the out. You can take that to other channels, right? Yeah. You can go to other channels that were loving on Brian Kelly and it's the best coaching job ever and blah, 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 that are now singing a different tune because they don't need to kiss his behind to keep access anymore. But anyone that knows me knows that this is what I've been saying for a while. And I just love when other fan bases try to come on here and tell us what, what, what really was going on at Notre Dame. So you guys are nicer to me because he'd have been blocked about 17 comments ago in, in my channel. So, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. But, look, Brian Kelly did some nice things in their name, and he's gone, and he didn't have what it took to get in their name the next level. That was on him. That wasn't on the players as much as he tried to blame the players for it. Yeah. And now we get to find out whether or not Marcus Freeman's capable of taking the next step. I think he is. But, you know, we're going to find out. Because at this point in time, like, the emotion of all this wears off pretty quickly and it comes to can you win football games, yeah. right? At the end of the day, can you win football games? That's how quarterbacks are judged. That's how head coaches are judged. And if you don't want to be judged on that, then don't be a quarterback, don't be a head coach. So I want to hit this right now before I forget. Brian, we talked about this a little bit. And people that watch the press conference, maybe you. Is that Reed Wilson in the background? Did you say what is, uh, is that Reed Wilson in the background? I hear a baby crying. I'm not sure what's going on. I purposely had my eyes on Kyle Hamilton during the press conference. And of course, the media asked Marcus Freeman about 
Kyle Hamilton's availability for the bowl game. And Marcus Freeman said, Kyle knows I have his back, whatever decision he makes. And my number one priority for him is his health. And he left it at that. And he said, we will have a discussion and ultimately it will be up to him what he decides. That's not really <laughs> what I want to talk about. Okay. There was angst on the face of Kyle Hamilton because Kyle Hamilton is very aware of what's happening at Notre Dame. And he's very aware that there's a possibility that he might never be able to take part in it ever again. You see the appreciation he has for Marcus Freeman. And I just feel like, once again, we look at, the, look at these kids sometimes as gladiators and we forget they're 17, 18, 19-year-old kids that really just have a love for a game and they just want to have fun. And I kind of feel like he's caught in between a segment of adults, whether it be his parents and agents looking out for his future and the adults at Notre Dame that really want him to play. And somehow, some way, I just wish he had the opportunity just to go out there and play with his boys. Yeah. I wish it was that simple. I wish he could just say, I just want to go play with my boys, and I'm not worried about anything else. But unfortunately, that's not the way life goes. And you can see it all over his face during the press conference. Well, I mean, the game has changed in the last 20, 30 years. And a lot of it's because there's just so much more money at stake now. Yeah. I mean, it just – I mean, you go talk to Notre Dame players back in the '40s and '50s. I mean, they had to get they had to get off season jobs because right. playing in the National Football League didn't pay the bills. Their their stories. Lou Samoji used to tell great stories about guys who were great players in Notre Dame that just turned down the NFL because they were getting tired as accountants or doctors or lawyers or whatever that just paid a lot more money than playing in the NFL. That's not the case anymore. And, and so, at the end of the day, you, you have to make that tough decision, especially when it's a decision where you did. We talked about this a little bit last night when it where is a a an an existing injury that you're coming back from, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, Kyle would like to play, but unless he plans on coming back next year, I don't, I don't think he should play. I, I, as much as he wants, as I said last night, I would say find a role for him where he can feel invested. Like he played a role in that game against yes. Oklahoma state that maybe isn't a playing role. Yeah. Maybe he's like Coach Kyle. Somebody made that comment last night, like Coach Kyle, you know, where he's helping the safe, you know, have him be with Chris O'Leary, you know, have Chris O'Leary say, look, what kind of role can we have for Kyle here? You know, uh, maybe he have him work with the younger guys. So while, while I'm coaching up Ramon and DJ or Houston or Xavier, make sure he's over there in the ear of Justin Walters and Kari, Kerry G and those guys kind of saying, hey, look, this is what that call is. And, you know, help him feel like he has a role. Because I think that's a way that you can you can have the best of both worlds. If he's not coming back next year, yeah, that's a way that I think you can have the best of both worlds where he can feel like he's invested in it because he would be. There would be a role for him. Or and, and you can also make it feel you can also protect him, you know, from from potential injury. Because the worst thing that could happen is he goes and plays this game out of sentiment and wanted to go out with his teammates and go out with his brothers and do all that. And then, you know, he tears his knee up. Because we're not that far away from move removed from what happened to Jalen. And if he has that's, to go, that's why yeah. Jalen wanted to play. There was nothing on the line except I, one last shot with my boys, that with, right. with my brothers, right? And we saw what happened. Yeah, and that's just one of the things about college football is that it can really hurt you more than it can help you in this situation. I think morally, I mean ethically, it would 
try to it would affect you more because you feel like you will be quitting on your brothers in a sense and there's a lot of pressure behind what the fans want and what's best for your career right uh it's it's hard to say kyle to, for him to it'd be selfish of us to say come back just because he's earned the right to be a top draft pick and earn the right to be in a position he's in and going through a situation where you got nicked up early uh it wasn't serious enough so thank goodness but it's good it's it was enough for you to consider even finishing the season i think at this point you know with everything transitioning and, and, and heading in the right direction with Marcus Freeman, I think it is important for him to be a more of a coach role just because this is a transitional period for and to see those young guys. This is really a bigger moment for the Cam Hearts and the, and the DJs and the Clarence Mays. And it's really a bigger moment for them to be prepared and to do well in this game. And Kyle would almost be taking away some of that, uh, that experience that they need if they want to hit the road uh, uh, heavy starting next season with Ohio State. If Kyle was going to come back, I would have. It should have been for the regular season. Like to me, that's when I argue that if he's healthy and cleared and a hundred percent, he needs to play now because you actually had, you know, who knows what the committee would have done with Notre Dame in the last two three weeks if Kyle came back when he was cleared, basically cleared to play. That would have been the time to have that conversation. Right. Now that we're talking about a bowl game, and again, I, I want to be clear: if we're talking, if we're in a situation where we're talking about a guy that played twelve games and is not injured and just sits out a game, I have a different take on that. Right. Than a kid who has an, an injury that cost him almost half the season. I mean, and that's it's important that you say that too, because if you think about it, we're winning games without Kyle. Not that Kyle right. wouldn't help us win anymore, but right. it's because of that fact that we can handle it without him. Yeah. It shows that it's okay that. You don't have to extend yourself overly to go out there and sacrifice something that we got it. We learned a lot from you, and we're ready to take our step. I think it's a graduation more than it is a uh, walking away from the team because, like you said, it it's it's a definite mind shift to go twelve games. You played hard and yeah. you did everything, and we don't know if we can win without you because mm-hmm. you were there all the time to where. Right. You know, we would be looking at you like, oh, you want to quit on this now? Like, that's right. what it. But now it's like, yeah. should we have missed him in week six? It was it was pretty early. Yeah. You know? well, USC what was at game seven, right? Yeah, uh, like, so, I mean, you lost him in the first quarter of game seven. That means you basically lost him for six games. Half a season. You lose him for half a season. And we really didn't skip a beat. You know, I'm sure he would have had some personal accolades and some more highlights. But from winning the game, I think everybody in the building is comfortable with allowing him to be a coach role and it not be a uh, a situation where we're looking right. at funny, you know. So, right. Coach Coach Hamilton, I'm all the way for it, and it's just an opportunity for him to, you know, enjoy the the time at a bowl game. Nobody really right. talks about the fun you have at a bowl game. Yeah, but them them 15 practices are a lot leading up to the game, so you're not not all of them are super intense. Right. <laughs> Well, and the thing about Kyle, Kyle didn't help them win the last six games, but he helped them win the first six. I mean, and five was, of the first and six. They're important. And right? they're I mean, important. he's earned that right to be a part of this in some way. I just think at the end of the day, the adults in the room, because you guys all know this, you're going to look at a situation differently when you're eight years removed from playing and you now understand the business aspect than when you put yourself back as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old and you're having to make the decision to walk away from your brothers, right? Like right. it, it's a whole different mindset. It's sometimes, and I've always felt this, sometimes as a coach, it's your responsibility to say, yes, this may be better for me and the program that you play, mm-hmm. but 
as your coach, someone who says I'm your advocate, I have to say, look, the adults in the room got to step up and say, we love where your heart is, but not for the – it'd be different as a playoff game. This is not even a conversation. Should he play in the playoff game? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, cool. Next topic, right? Um, But this this is – it doesn't mean that this game's not important. Right. It just means because of the injury, because he's already missed a lot of games, because it's not this – they're just for me. There's no reason not to play. Like Jalen's situation, I would not have advised even now, knowing we know, I would not have advised Jalen not to play. Yeah, I would have told him to play. I would right. have told him to play that game because of what we knew at the time. You know what I mean? Like it's this is different. And yeah. yes, what happened to Jalen sucks, but that is a very, 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 very small percentage of what actually happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so that's why I say injured, you just right? sit out because you don't want to play anymore. That's one right. thing. Right. If you just sit out because you got an injury, like Christian McCaffrey was technically healthy, but he had been banged up all year that year when he decided not to play. Like I understood that. Guys who just don't want to, hey, you know, I'm because you could be like the cat from Washington a couple years ago that tore his knee up at the at the, at combine, the combine at the pro yeah. day. Yeah. You could who was there was another D lineman that tore his hamstring at the at the pro, at the combine, you know? So And that's uh, crazy too, is that we're talking about this for Kyle because he's a first round pick. Right. Kyle was top ten pick. Yes, right. if I was in a position like a Kyron Williams, a you know, second, third, maybe fourth rounder, then it wouldn't even be a conversation of coming back. He would want to come back because there's obviously more money to be made with that draft pick. But a top 10, it's like, look, man, go sit down, take your helmet off, you know, <laughs> kick your feet up, just don't yeah. be messing this up. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to some of the comments and questions. Tyler Evans. Who is ready for Marcus Freeman's first home game, leading his players out of the tunnel? Believe in the brand. Hashtag believe in the brand. Look, I'll go a step further than that. And this is a good question. I'm excited for them to run in the field January 1st. And my question to you is, you both and Irish fans, what are they rocking when they run out of that tunnel? Like what do you what what uniform do you want to see? I see Brian, your mind is what uniform do you want to see Notre Dame rocking when they run it out of the tunnel to start the, the Freeman era? I'd like to see something different. Right. And look, and I'm usually someone who is a you know, you you do what you did to get you there, yeah. Right? Like it's a game, like it, we're still about this business, right? But I kind of feel like it's building off what we talked about earlier on the IB show, which is, you know, Notre Dame showed something different today. Like it wasn't Malik. I don't know if you didn't hear us say this, but we talked. This wasn't a press conference. This was a coronation. That's right. right. This was something different. This was the bands playing while he's walking in with his with his captains behind him. Like that's not your normal PC, right? That's right. not yeah. your I haven't won all my games yet type of stuff, right? That's a yeah. This is a whole different kind of deal. I kind of feel like this is more of – it's almost like it's the way you can recruit without specifically recruiting. You know, yeah. like, hey, y'all, like, we're still going to be Notre Dame. We're still going to wear our blue and gold. But, you know, it's like if you're going to put jerseys on the back of the names for bowl games, why not have a little bit of fun with the color as well? That's kind of the way I look at it, you know. Again, because it's not a playoff game. If it was a playoff mm-hmm. game, it's a different conversation. Like – I. I don't want them doing different stuff for the playoff game because the playoff game is, hey, fellas, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. This is a bowl game. Have some fun. It's about that business still, right? But it is still about having fun. And I think that's why I, I would, I'd kind of be okay seeing maybe some green, 
I tell you, know? you that, hey, okay. this, is, this is the time. If you want to squeeze as much out of this juice as possible, yeah, but as orange as possible, this is this is just the icing on the cake. I think with just like you said, the coronation of the welcome and everybody in there supporting him, and he's giving a passionate movie type of speech. I think you know having those green jerseys is just the 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 like you said the transition, like the changing of guard. Like, like we're really stepping into a new era and we can actually physically see it instead of feeling like it. I mean, the whole, the whole shebang, I think going all out in this very moment is all about leading into the, the future and the next season coming up. And I think this is all a part of it. One, because I believe, like you said, this is a playoff game. Like if we were in the playoffs this year, I would say keep it the same because I you know, I don't know if we'll win these games, but this game, I feel very confident that we can come out with the dub. So I think it's just a part of the what we, what it would look like. Now, is that too much? Probably in Coach Freeman's mind at at this very second to be thinking, I'm just going to keep going all out, and we're going to come out here with. I'll bet you twenty dollars. She's already thinking about stuff like that. He's, he's thinking <laughs> the hype is there. Yeah. You know, it's still Notre Dame. Let's see how far they really you know, yeah. pull back for us. I know they've, they've done a lot. So yeah. Long, but let's see. Yeah. We'll, we'll never know. Because bowl games to me are different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Unless, like I said, like it's less there's a championship on the line. You know, it's part about having fun. It's part of, I mean, again, you still have you still have a game you got to win. I'm not someone who, if you're ever going to put on the pads, you're playing to win. I mean, yeah. And so that's why you've got to balance when you're when you're down in in Arizona. You got to balance. Hey, fellas, this is fun time. We're doing the sightseeing. We're doing this, but we're back here now. When then we're when they're in, when we are in this building right here, it's about that business, right? And, and that's what the focus needs to be on. You got to be able to balance that. And so we're going we're going to go out there. And we're going to play our butts off, and we're going to coach and play to win this game. But it doesn't mean we're not going to look good doing it, right? I mean, and that's the thing is, like, you know, I'm a quarterback, Malik, so I'm going to say something that I know you believed in as well. If I look good, I feel good. If I feel good, I play good, right? I mean, yeah. and so yeah. uh, have some fun with it. That's if, my thing. If, if coming out with different jerseys will help us not come out flat, right? I think that's that's what it would be for. It wouldn't be just to look good, you know. I hope it right. would be to get us to come out with a different energy than the last right. Week. That's it, right? That's this. I think that's a great point. I didn't even think about that, Malik. I, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. It even adds to it. Yeah. Because you got to win this game, man. You cannot go eight yeah. months without Mark yeah. loses his first game. You got to go eight months till he plays another game. Like, I'm yeah, sorry, nine months, actually. You got to get that. You got get that win. Get that win. All right. Brian, for my guy, Demetrius Rex. Brian, I know you don't get particularly excited for the spring game, but are you excited about this next one? Well, I wouldn't say I'm excited any more than I normally am because the spring game is part of building your football team to when it really matters. You know, I, I think what I'm excited about the spring game is I want to see what the the environment looks like. This is the biggest thing that I'm curious about because I could be reading the room incorrectly. I have just felt like in recent years we're seeing more and more sellouts at Notre Dame that yeah. aren't actually sellouts. They're the ones where the, the school buys the tickets and there's like 10,000 empty seats in the stands when Notre Dame is good. Yeah. And I just feel like there wasn't an energy around the program. It's like Brian Kelly. It's like he just kept beating the fan base down over and over and over again, lower the expectations, lower the expectations, lower the expectations. And you're playing all these bad teams at home. You're winning, you know, 41 straight games against teams that aren't right. There just wasn't a lot of excitement. There was nobody thought 
I mean, we had Notre Dame fans two weeks ago arguing about whether or not it'd be better to not make the playoff so that way you could have a win in the postseason. Like, just assuming they were going to lose. And then when Marcus Freeman gets hired, automatically those same fans, I want a playoff. I want the playoff because I think we can win. We have no evidence of that. No evidence that Marcus Freeman's not going to go out and lose by 50 to Alabama. No evidence. But there's an energy there now, yeah. an excitement, an optimism that, hey, we don't have to be convinced by our head coach that we are never quite that good. And how long does that energy last? Does it last into March and April for the spring game? Does it last? Because the thing that stinks about the earlier question about the first game, he's not going to play his first home game till game three because you yeah. got the bowl game, then they're at well, Ohio State, and then you've got, was it uh, Marshall? Marshall. Right? Yeah, so you can't wear green for your first home game because that's going to be way too much green on the field for that one. But <laughs> that's what I'm curious to see about the spring and is do we see a bigger – you know, uh, fan show up, fan attendance. Because, you know, Notre Dame spring games have never been like Ohio State's because 95% of Ohio State fans live in the state of Ohio. That's not true yeah. of Notre Dame. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how all of that looks. And so that it's more of an intrigue. But then, of course, there's the, the quarterback battle and what freshmen step up and who steps into this job and who does that. And, you know, what does the offense look like? I mean, there's that stuff. I wouldn't call it an excitement like, ooh, I'm giddy, just any more than I normally like. I just want this is our first chance at looking at what the 2022 football team is going to look like. Because what we see on January 1st is not the first of of Marcus Freeman's tenure. It's the last of the 2021 team. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as what the team is going to look like, it's the first game of Marcus Freeman's tenure, but that team he puts on the field in game one. Is not going to look like the team he puts on the field for game two because you're going to, there's players you're going to lose. True. Spark 5219, appreciate you. Sean Malik and Brian sort of like Eric Divine and Holtz in the same room. I like, as long it. as I'm not Divine, I can dig that. I'm cool with that. You don't want to be, the, you know what? Malik has to be Eric because he has to play. <laughs> I can talk with a lisp. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, you know. You know, I'll take Divine. Save Jimmy no Johnson's ass for me. <laughs> yeah, straight up. So moving forward, let's go ahead and get to this clip where uh, I think it was Tim Priester who asked Marcus uh, Freeman about what he was going to do to put his stamp on the program moving forward. Well, I think it starts with we're going to recruit at the highest level and we're going to recruit – the best football players in the country that fit Notre Dame. And you're not going to change the standards at Notre Dame. But there are certain players out there that fit Notre Dame that they might not know. And so our job as a coaching staff is to be able to communicate with these young people what Notre Dame can do for your life. And that's what I plan on doing. Look, I, I didn't play for Notre Dame. I've never been recruited. We want everybody to go. When you get done with us today, go to our archives earlier today. I actually spoke, took some time, and I spoke with Jared Payton right here on Lucky Lefty Podcast as he was getting ready to go interview Joe Montana for the Super Bowl. But he shared his experience. You know he went to the University of Miami, but he shared his experience about the three months, or I take that the month and a half that he was committed to the University of Notre Dame. And a lot of people don't know that. He was committed to the University of Notre Dame for a month and a half. And he just shared, like, what it was like and why he was attracted to it. And he was like, it's just a different feeling when you step on the campus and you become a part of that family. 
the one key thing that Marcus Freeman, that he didn't just say we're going to go out and recruit the best and most elite athletes. He said we're going to recruit the athletes that are elite that fit Notre Dame. Like we can't forget the B part that fit Notre Dame. And then on top of that, he says, and some of those guys don't know that they fit Notre Dame. So he's taking the responsibility to let kids know, hey, you're a Notre Dame guy, even if you don't think you are. That right there was very encouraging to me as far as what the recruiting classes in the near future will look like. And this sealed it for me too. As soon as he said that I knew from the jump that he's going after guys that are under the perception. And that's and that's a good chunk of the recruits, in my opinion, that I've seen. I mean, I remember uh, just even having Zeke come on campus the same day I was coming on campus and we wanted to turn him into a corner. You know what I mean? Like just tone deaf to, to what we're doing. So for me, I just really thought that once he said that, I know that he understands the the pessimism around it of being Notre Dame, but proving that he's a Notre Dame guy yeah. will even be better because now we get to a chance of we're converting guys. We might turn a guy from a Bama to a Notre Dame. We might turn a guy from a Clemson to a Notre Dame based off of them seeing the fit. Marcus Freeman's a fit for a lot of guys more so than a Brian Kelly would be, and I think that's the difference there too. Yeah. Brian? I just feel like, look, you have to be willing to fight. I think yeah. at the end of the day, the whole we're shopping down in a different aisle thing was about was more about the unwillingness to fight, knowing that to get those kids, you had to be heavily involved in that recruitment for someone who didn't want to recruit. And also because it, some of these kids that have to be convinced that they are Notre Dame fits, it's not the convincing doesn't end the first day class. It's no. just part of the process. The first time they are in the class and they're feeling overwhelmed, they're going to feel a level of inadequacy that's actually felt by every freshman at Notre Dame, but yeah. they're going to feel like they don't belong because of what people told them and the preconceived notions that they had to go in. So it doesn't just stop once they sign their letter of intent. And I think that requires a level of engagement and involvement with your players on an everyday basis that the previous coach just didn't want to invest in. And I think that also is part of it because you, if you just recruit these kids in their name and just kind of turn them loose and say, okay, we got you, let's go play football. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to fail. Uh, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are going to fail. It requires an everyday commitment to, Hey, how you doing? You're doing all right. You're doing this, you're doing that. Like one of the things I'd like to see Notre Dame change, and I could be wrong on this Malik. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But but even though Notre Dame has a great academic support system, the coaches don't have to be involved in the day-to-day -day parts of academics because Notre Dame has such a great operation. I think that they still need to be more involved because that's part of where you're getting to know where are they struggling, how are you doing. Because if you don't know that a kid's having a really tough time with his econ class and he's already kind of borderline eligibility academically, you're not going to know why he's been so unfocused in practice this week. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Or and, and that's the, the the good thing about Marcus Freeman and also when it comes to recruiting is that you can – the players can see the, the relationship. They can they can feel the connectivity. And there was a disconnect between the staff, like you said, and academics to where the staff couldn't relate enough for the kids to feel comfortable that they can get through it because it was so – we're just football academics. We got a great support staff, but we, we don't really know about it. We just want right. you to – just invest in it and they'll take care of itself. So now can't be that. 
They cannot no. be that. And especially when you're trying to recruit guys and flip guys. So Marcus Freeman being able to have the, the knowledge of understanding that he can uh, break down the fit to players that don't know they can fit shows that he'll be more invested in all aspects of that student athlete role. You know, we got so complacent and, and geared to, okay, Notre Dame will take care of the, the life of the student and then we'll just focus on football. I think there's a synergy and connection that'll come to it. Yeah. And that's what's going to change the perception. You ask specifically what will change the perception and that's the coaches being relatable on that piece. Right. More involved in the student life of their athletes. And it's not the perception amongst the fan base because we don't know. It's the perception of when other recruits come on campus and talk to your team. Because you can try all you want as a coach to only let recruits be around the kids that you know are going to have good things to say and are going to tow the company line and all that kind of stuff. But here's the reality. Notre Dame is too small for them not to run into other players that, that don't feel that way. Right. And, and, and that's the thing is like they're going to get asked real honest questions and there's going to be enough players on the team. They're going to give them real honest answers. And it's that's more the perception that I care about is the one that the players have of their relationship. Hey, coach has got my back, man. You know what I mean? Like he went and talked to my professor for me or or gave me the right things to say to my professor. Where in the past we never had those conversations because you can't say I got your back. I'm your advocate. I care about developing you as a young man. Okay, well, coach, I got this. Well, no, 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 no. Time out, time out. That's an academic issue. You need to go talk to so-and-so about that. Well, how invested are you really then? Because this is a pretty big part of my career at Notre Dame. And if if you're not taking it, if you're not taking interest in that, that's going to get back to the players that you're trying to recruit. Yeah. And that's the perception that I care about is it really co- if you're not in coaching, winning is important. I I never ever went into coaching with the thought of I don't want to win. Of course I wanted to win. But at the same time, if I'm winning at the expense of what I'm doing to build up young men, to build up the next generation, then I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. And I feel like it's so easy sometimes at the Division One level, because it is a big business, to just focus so much on the the football. Because you can say, well, you know, Ty Willingham graduated 100% of his players and he got fired. Yeah, because he wasn't doing the other part right. You know, just like if you're at Notre Dame and you're winning, but you're not graduating your players, you're still going to be out of a job. I I mean, the the great ones take – take pride in developing players holistically. And that's, that's the thing I hear from all the players that I've, I've been able, been blessed to meet so many former Lou Holtz players. And that's the thing you always hear is that, you know, they really felt like coach cared about their success off the football field as well. Yes. And I I've never heard anyone tell me that they felt that way about Brian Kelly. Marcus Freeman needs to change that because the, the belief that he will get the commitment he will get from his players if he demands that from his coaches, is going to just take this program to another level. It really will. And it may not see all men, but like, we're talking about academics here. It, it's all part of it. Yeah. Because if I believe in you in every other aspect of my life, I'm going to darn sure believe in you when you go tell me about something that I know you're an expert in, right? Yeah. That, that's the thing you have to understand is if I know you're fighting for me, I'm going to fight for you in any way that you need me to. Recruiting, practice, games, all of it. Yeah. And and to me, that's what that's what excites me about what I hope that Marcus Freeman brings to the table in that regard. With you saying that, it almost makes it it makes you take a step back. You know, you can be excited about everything we saw today, but it makes you take a step back and you say, you know what? Let me be objective about this. And really what I saw today was a more of a beta lunch. It was a beta lunch from the Freeman era because the alpha lunch comes on January 1st. In the first game of next season, and then how things change. 
and administration and the relationship between head coach and players. And we'll see the evidence of that in months to come. So mm-hmm. we'll, that'll be the real launch. And what we saw today was just the beta launch leading up to the alpha launch and the real launch of the Freeman era, which yeah. starts with January 1st against Oklahoma State. Uh, just to update everyone, because we're talking about recruiting before we move on slightly. He talked about the importance and feeling like he had to be the number one recruiter. I believe uh, he, there's one con- more more piece of contact he has with Xavier Iwanka. You reported that, in your opinion, he's going to stay with Iowa or stay home. Right. Uh, some people believe that there's an opportunity for him to go ahead and um, change that decision. Um, <laughs> and then Anthony Lucas is going to receive an in-home visit this week, mm-hmm. according to reports. And they're going to try and get him. They feel very confident that they can get him on campus. That is the key. Can they get him on campus for a visit? And they feel like if they can get him in the building, then they can possibly sway him to become a part of this year's recruiting class. And then a Billy Schroff is the next uh, visit, I believe, is going to take That's place. the one I feel most confident in. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be a little surprised if they don't land Billy Shrouth at this point in time. It's not a done deal, yeah. but I, I mean, it's been trending that way for a long time. And with some of the things that I'm hearing have happened and what the staff is going to look like, I think that's only going to enhance their potential to land him. So that's one I feel pretty good about. Okay. That's one I feel pretty good about. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the questions that I thought was very interesting. I don't know. I think it was Eric Hansen. And Eric Hansen was talking about not only his staff, but actually talking about how he relates to, he spoke about embracing Notre Dame. And he was talking about how do you deal with that embracing Notre Dame and still try to hold fast to what you call the new mantra or the new standard here at Notre Dame. How difficult is that going to be for someone that has never experienced it as a player and only one year as a coach? Should we expect there to be a transitional period of time, or do you think he can truly hit the ground running? I think he can hit the ground running, and I think that's part of the reason he was so successful in a short period of time. I think yeah. part of it is, is because I think I think when Marcus Freeman kind of experienced what Notre Dame was about, it's kind of like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. Right. Like this is this is how it should be. This is what college athletics is supposed to be about. This is about developing people. And I, I don't I think he'll make it. I think the transition in that regard is going to be some if I'm understanding the comment, if I'm remembering the comment correctly, because uh, there was a lot said today. I, I think that transition will be smooth. Yeah. So Malik told me he just had an emergency come up. He had to drop out. He'll try to get back in. Man, we've been on for a long time, all day. So yeah. I don't know how much longer we'll go. So we'll get to something. I think I probably, I think I can stretch out, give you another twenty minutes or so. You know, so uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, just so everybody in the chat knows, like the Reed guy, I was fine because I was going to get back at him later on in the chat. But you know, I listened to uh, the wisdom of my brother, and uh, there, there, there's there. There's fine to have debates. Then there comes the point where you're just being an idiot, and it's time for you to. You're not allowed to play at the with the grown ups anymore. You can't sit at the grown up table anymore. The grown up table anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. C Mac had a question. 
He said for both of you all, is a nine and three season next year a uh oh scenario for media? What's the reaction? How young will ND be next year? Hmm. For me, go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. Sure, Sean. I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just reacting to the question. For me, up. it's always about why did they go nine and three? There's always a level of context I need to really answer that question. So, for example, let's say they go nine and three and they lost two games at the beginning of the year because they just had like just some really major injuries and lost close, but then they ran, they battle and they finish strong. Or let's say they're really good in the last two games, they're just down like eight starters and you know, there's some context there, or maybe a team on their schedule that we don't think is going to be great is just elite and they lose a, a close game. There's some context that I would accept, but nine and three, I'd have a hard time finding enough, uh, enough things to go wrong when looking at the schedule where I'm going to be comfortable with nine and three as a successful season. It's going to be a tough schedule, right? You're at North Carolina, you know, you're at USC, you're, you're at Ohio State, you're home against Clemson. It's going to be a challenging schedule, but the way I look at it is those are really the only four teams I look at that may have a chance to beat Notre Dame next season when you look at the schedule. You know, maybe Boston College with Phil Dracovic coming back. So let's just say we'll throw them in there. That's five teams that should be able to beat you. You just got to go three and two against those teams and then beat everybody you're supposed to, mm-hmm. and you're 10 and two, yeah. right? So, I mean, to me, 10 and two would be kind of like, man, that's a little disappointing. But hey, let's see how it goes. Nine and three would be like, okay, I'm gonna give them. I mean, I'm not the only way that I would just be like, wow, this is not going the way it should is if like they just bomb eight and four and worse, right? Yeah. But nine and three, be like, okay, let's see what he does in year two, right? Let's see how he responds to this. That would be the thing I want to see. But it it would be a little bit concerning. But I mean, there is a there is a learning curve to this. I mean, there is going to be a learning curve. You just hope that the learning curve doesn't result in some L's. That's the key. What are your thoughts, Sean? Style points, right? How they lose, you mean? Like style points. There's really three key games where you honestly say to yourself, okay, I can see them possibly losing this game, right? That's Clemson, that is Ohio State, game one, and then that trip out to the West Coast. You don't know what Lincoln Riley and US, you don't know. You just don't know how that team is going to be by the end of the season. Like USC could start out horribly. And Lincoln Riley could have them being a very good team by the end of the year. You right. know, he, he's going to get some transfers in. So he's going to be able to field a team more than likely that will be better than USC fielded this year. Mm-hmm. Those are the three games off bat. You say to yourself, okay, I don't expect Notre Dame to lose all three of those games. I just don't. Now, swing game is the first game out the bat. Mm-hmm. They walk into the horseshoe. And hand Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, and that talented offense a loss. Mm-hmm. They're they're definitely running off the next four games, in my opinion. In my opinion, yeah, they're at worst eleven and one if they beat Ohio State in the opener. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I look at it is, they'll the worst they'll do is split with Clemson at home and USC on the road. Right, right. I mean, that's the, the worst. The rest do. of the schedule, it's like, man, if you lose to a Syracuse, then it's like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, what's going on? And Week two, I need. I don't need to beat Marshall. I need to demolish right. Marshall. I want yeah. to see that change in attitude of just coming in and dealing with teams that are lesser talented than you and you just kind of like taking it to the second half before you decide, you know, to hit that switch, as we've been saying. Like, no, I want that switch on from the first snap of the game. Like, we're better. We're going to demolish you. 
physically take you out of this game from the first snap and dominate you. And I want to see that attitude. Mm-hmm. Big plays. I want to see some of the youngsters in the game in the third quarter. All of that. I think for me also, too, is how they lose is going to factor into it as well. With that is if they're losing competitive games. If they're going out there and, you know, because honestly, like, what sucked about 2017 is not that they went on the road and lost to a top 10 Miami team. I think we all could have been disappointed but accepted, hey, you know, Miami was decent that year and was on the road and a lot of environment and, you know, you just you just you weren't good enough that day. Yeah. But when you go on the road and you get smashed, you know, you go on the road against Stanford and, and you have a fourth quarter lead and then end up losing by 18. You go to Michigan and – I mean, they had a, 2019, you go on the road to Michigan – and it's a rainy game, and it's yeah. just bad weather, and you lose a 17-13 to 13 slobber knocker. It is what it is. We played them on dry field. We beat them. Yeah. But to get embarrassed the way that they did, I think those are the problems that, that people have, and that's what you got to eliminate is, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, you're, you're, you don't turn a 33-point loss into a 20-point win. You turn a 33-point loss into a three-point loss, and then the next time you beat them. Right. And that's kind of what Clemson did, right? Yeah. Like Clemson didn't just automatically – beat Alabama's and the teams like that, right? Like they first lost in the close game to Alabama, then beat them the next year, right? And, you know, so those are things like they lost to Florida State in the regular season and then then went and beat Ohio State in the regular season or in the postseason, right? So you lose those games, but they were getting blown out for a while against Florida State. But what started to kind of turn the corner, and and I'll actually – I can pull it up here and kind of go through it specifically because I went over this one time. But it's it it was that they were getting killed by Florida State for a long time, for several years, and then all of a sudden they started getting into some close competitive games, and then it was get over the hump, right? And, and, and that big that big win over Les Miles at LSU in the Peach Bowl, right? Because that was what third was that was that twelve? That was twelve, right? That was the year that was Deshaun's senior year in high school, right? So that would have been. So that would have been, hmm. Yeah, I always get that in the Ohio State game kind of backwards. Yeah, yes. So, but you like so here it was like Florida State in, in back-to-back years in twelve. Florida State beat Clemson 49-37. The next year in thirteen, they beat them fifty-one fourteen. Then in twenty fourteen, Florida State beat them twenty-three seventeen at home. It was at Florida State. I remember right, that game and it was like yeah, because yeah. that was his at freshman four. year, right. And and they didn't win that game, but it was like okay, they battled. Yeah. And then they 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 beat South Carolina that year, and if you remember, that was during a stretch when South Carolina dominated that rivalry. I mean, South Carolina because that was at the end of the Spurrier tenure. Yeah. And South Carolina had won like several games in a row. I'm looking at it now for like 2010, 11, 12, 13. South Carolina beat them in nine. I mean, they'd beaten them for several years in a row. So they had that close game with Florida State who had been smacking them, and then they went and beat South Carolina and then beat Oklahoma, who wasn't great that year. But it was kind of like it was those games that gave them the confidence to then go beat Notre Dame the next year. Right. And then, of course, beat Oklahoma, and then they lost to Bama, but they were competitive enough against Bama that the next year when they played Bama, they weren't scared of Bama because Bama has the advantage that USC had in the the 2000s that Miami had in the 80s and early 90s, that you were beat before the game even started because you were intimidated. 
that's why Notre Dame was able to beat Miami when nobody else could. Right. Because Notre Dame wasn't afraid of Miami. That's the difference. And and so so Clemson finally stopped being afraid of those big game moments. And that's why they 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 just rejected the Clemsoning thing. It was it was wow, we can actually play with this team, a team that had beat them. And then that led them to go beat some other teams. Right. And eventually got to where they got to. And so those are the things to me. Like I'll say, I'll take this to, you know, I, I've always believed this. But when that 2012 team beat Stanford, it gave them a belief in themselves that did not exist that was there before. Like they thought they were pretty good, but once right. they beat Stanford, they knew they were good. Right. And I don't know if you beat Oklahoma at Oklahoma if those games are reversed in order. In order, right? Because you haven't accomplished or gotten over that. Correct. There's that still that need. little bit of self-doubt. But once you slay the dragon that was Stanford, which was Notre Dame's nemesis, I mean, again, as, as we said on the Irish Breakdown Show, in 2012, there was not a single Notre Dame player on the roster that had played in the game. Now, there were some fifth-year seniors that were redshirted in 2008, yeah. but they didn't play the last time Notre Dame beat Stanford. And so when you slay that dragon and then you beat them at their own game, which is what Notre Dame, Notre Dame out-physical them that day, you all of a sudden start to say, you know what? Like, we are. We can play with anybody. Yeah. And and then that gives you the confidence to go to Norman and beat them. And, you know, to me, that that's the thing that, that Notre Dame needs to get to. Is it, it, it's not just a win over Ohio State that makes you realize you you are as good as everybody thinks you are. Yeah. It's that we went toe-to-toe with them, and there's a couple mistakes that we made that if we correct, we can beat them. And if we can beat them, we can beat anybody. And see, that's the amazing thing. It goes to what Marcus Freeman talked about today, which is challenge the normal. Right? Don't mm-hmm. settle. Like, even when you think you're good, and this is what Nick Saban is so good at with, with his teams, there's always something you can get better at. And they're at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Like Nick Saban's always pushing. No, 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 no. It's something you can be better at. So, like you said, if you overcome Ohio State, guess what? It's another hurdle in front of that. Mm-hmm. And once you overcome that hurdle, you know, it still might be another hurdle to get to the national championship. Because the first thing is going to be what? Winning a semifinal game eventually for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be on the biggest of stages. And that's an mm-hmm. entirely different hurdle. So, you know, as, as a fan base, and just going back to the question, I don't think either of us expect them to lose Notre Dame more than two games. Two games will be the low point. And if they beat Ohio State game one, I, I look for Notre Dame to be undefeated or eleven and one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think Clemson will be Clemson's going to be really good next year, but they're going to be beatable at home. Yeah, Ohio State will will, will be very difficult, but and beatable. We play Clemson late in the season, right? And, yeah, and it's in November, and it's at home. I mean, it's at it, home, it, and yeah. more than likely, the young. In my opinion, I think the freshman might be the starting quarterback by then. Wow, Cade Kubnick, yeah. I, I yeah, think DJ's gonna have to get a lot better. And yeah. look, there's gonna be some serious turnover at Clemson because because yeah. uh Venables is already gone. They lost Ladson uh, in the uh Ladson transferred, but then also uh yeah. Tony Elliott, the OC, has been uh, interviewing for jobs. Mm-hmm. There's some thought he may he you know maybe time for him to go. So there's gonna be some yeah. turnover at Clemson. Yeah, they're still gonna be super talented. Yeah, but Especially you know, again, that's a game yeah. where it's like, hey, if you're if you're that guy, you're at home. You gotta you because that's something Brian Kelly did a really good job of the last five years until the Cincinnati game was is Notre Dame just didn't lose at home. I mean, and you know, but look, the schedule's going to be a little tougher at home next year than it was for a lot of Brian Kelly's tenure. 
So yeah, yeah I, I you know, but the, the Ohio State game for me is is the one that I'm just like I'm I'm gonna wait to truly feel comfortable with what the record is. I mean, I'll make a prediction because it's my job. I have to do that, but I'm gonna really wait until that game before I'm gonna be able to feel okay. Yeah, this team's got a shot because. You know, Ohio State's going to lose some guys too, Sean. I mean, they're going to lose yeah. Garrett Wilson. They're going to lose Olave. Yeah. They may lose Smith and Jigba. I mean, they may lose Zach Harrison. I mean, there's going to be some guys gone from there as well. I but agree. if Notre Dame loses Isaiah Foskey and Jason Adamiola, then I'm not going to feel as confident going in that game. Absolutely. So how do you feel stepping away from recruiting? How intently do you think Marcus Freeman and his staff will look at the transfer portal? You know, because I've been looking at it, looking to see, you know, what positions might be. Because, you know, there are some – Notre Dame is going to have some players transfer mm-hmm. at the end of this year. It's going to happen. So now you look at – then you look at defections by people going to the NFL draft, some of the guys you just mentioned. With all of that being said, the team we watched on January 1st will be a totally different team that runs out of the tunnel for the first game in the horseshoe next season. How intently will they look at or, or, yeah, look at the transfer portal in his first season? First all season, shall I say? I think they'll be open to it, but it's not a necessity. It's not a necessity. It's about filling. Look, Notre Dame has to look at the transfer portal differently than most schools. Yeah, because here's a fact: it is harder to get a transfer to Notre Dame than it is to get a high school kid to Notre Dame. Yes, academically. Yeah. Just through the admissions. It just it just is a reality. And so a kid that you may have recruited to go to somewhere else, if he's taken all the classes that some of these schools promote their kids to take, he may have a harder time transferring to Notre Dame than a kid that maybe goes to Stanford and that they were recruiting. And he's, you know, it just that's just the reality of it. So they got to be careful there. They also have to be careful that they don't go the mercenary route, right? Which is what the transfer portal can become if you don't handle it correctly. I also feel like Notre Dame is still always going to be a development problem. And how I define development de- development program, how I define development is a little different than the way Brian Kelly defined it. What I mean by development program is bringing in kids as freshmen, teaching them the ropes, teaching them how to go about business, handle things like a, like a Notre Dame student should, develop them in the classroom, develop them on the field, coach them up, get them to where you want them to be. Sometimes those kids play as freshmen, sometimes those kids may as juniors. So I'm not talking about development from – the pro that we're bringing in projects. Like I'm not talking about a roster full of audio Gandhis. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying is I still want to have a junior senior laden team when possible of kids. We've that have been on our program for four years. Cause I just don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to get into a situation where they can just recruit just a, a new roster every year. Yeah. Because it, it's not like just, with all due respect, it's not like just going to Ohio State where your number one priority and your number two priority, number three, four, and five priority are football. And you can take a light class low and do all that because all they really care about is you just come play football. And then when the season's over with, you can go to the NFL, right? At Notre Dame, you still got to go to class. You still got to do all these things. And if you're a junior and you've been doing things or a sophomore and you've been doing things a certain way, yeah. you come to Notre Dame, it's going to be just like you're a freshman all over again going through of, wow, this academic thing is a little bit of a different universe here at Notre Dame. Yeah. So they're going to have to be really careful making the, the transfer portal a big part of what they do. Now, that doesn't mean that if they're like, dude, we don't know if we're going to have enough receivers to fill out our roster next year, and we just lost two commits, right. hypothetically, because that didn't happen. Right. Uh, we may need to get a kid, right? Like Jack Cohn, we don't have a veteran quarterback on our roster. And Brendan Clark, and this is what we talk about, so Brendan Clark's not healthy. 
Right. We don't know if he's going to be healthy again. It means you got two quarterbacks. You can't have that, right? None of them have experience. So it was the right year to bring in a grad transfer quarterback. I'm not looking for a grad transfer quarterback in 2022 unless it's a kid that's just coming in for depth. Right. Because this is this is Tyler and Drew's battle, in my opinion. So you need a, a veteran that's had some playing time and you're really looking for characteristics. Right. He knows that you're not going to be our starting quarterback right. barring injury. Right. right. All right. You're here to get your degree because you wanted to get into coaching or whatever the case may be. Right. I mean, and that may be, hey, you come in here, you back us up for a year and then we'll bring you on as a GA the next year. Right. You know, I mean, th there's all types of ways you can do it. And and so that the th that's the thing for me is you got to be careful. Notre Dame, I still want Notre Dame to be a high school development, bring in high school kids. And then just if you have to plug a hole or there will be the occasion where a kid that you recruited that chose somewhere else that is a Notre Dame fit goes to Oklahoma, for example, realizes yeah, all the things they promised me weren't true. I actually do want to go to class. I actually do want to get an education. Right. I'm going to transfer back to Notre Dame. Because you you know this, Sean. You've talked to enough former college football players. There are kids that are promised, yeah, you'll get a chance to get a good education. Yeah. Because they asked that at yeah. BAM or wherever else. And then they go there and the coach is like, well, you know, how about you just take this? Or how about you just do that, right? Yeah. Well, in the past, they, they were screwed. There, there was not a lot they could do because of the way the transfer rule was. As much as I hate the transfer rule now, that's the type of kid that can benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Because, like, look, you know, mom, here's the deal. They lied to me, this and the other. Like, you know, can you maybe call up coach so-and-so? Hey, Coach Elston, you know, here's what's going on. Can You know, and they may say, hey, look, we don't have room for you. But there may be the time like, oh, my gosh, so-and-so just called me. He wants to come. This is the kind of kid we got to take. That may happen from time to time, but that's not going to happen all the time or even no. often. So it still needs to be a high school deal for, for the most part for me, Sean. Yeah, I agree with that. Shout out to Tara Trixie. When I saw Malik on the Showtime show, he was big in the building. He was big in building the culture that is there now. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I do remember that Showtime series in Notre Dame. Notre Dame had that season. And um, it was tough watching him roll around on the scooter, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, not experience. And that was a great season to actually be followed around for the team to be followed around as well, because I thought it was a very compelling season. Do you know that I was on that a few times? Uh, now I have to go rewatch it. I didn't know. I, I didn't watch it at first because I just, okay. you know, it just was something, something that interests me. And, and a buddy of mine who was coaching, uh, coaching at the time, he's actually with Clark Lee now. He goes, he goes, hey, man. He goes, is that you? I'm like, uh, what? I didn't know if like he was at a stoplight and he thought he saw me park. And yeah. he said, yeah, I was just listening to, to, to the Notre Dame season with Notre Dame. And uh, it sounded like you. So they would take like bits of podcasts and shows and play them during the thing. Apparent, and there's a few times where they, they had me on there, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, that actually bookmarked in a previous conversation I had a week ago. Because we were on the show and someone from IB Nation said, how did you guys meet? When did you guys meet? And I was like, yo, I think I, you know, booked him for a show that I was doing when I was producing for the Jared Payton show here in Chicago. And it was actually the 2012 season. Mm -hmm. Because I remember you came on prior to the Stanford game and you talked about no one on the team ever had beaten, had beaten Stanford. So that's how long we go back. It's, yeah, it's, it's been a while, it's and, and I, I remember that years. because 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 Jarrett tried to 
let's say Jared and I had a fun conversation. Yes. It was, it was really fun. Yeah. And Sean was like, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you know. And that you were part of my conversation, my epic conversation with uh, Bomani Jones leading up to the week of the Oklahoma game when he tried to trash Notre Dame. And I just kept throwing facts at him. And he still owes me a lunch to this day. We actually bet on the Oklahoma game because he said Notre Dame would lose by 10. And I said, I don't need your points. I'll take it, I'll take it straight up. And of course, Notre Dame went in and took care of business. So he still owes me a dinner. That's a true story. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to make him pay up on that. You got in what you got in on the conversation on Twitter. That's what I was saying. You actually jumped in, and I forget what you hit him with. You hit him with some fact. And I think it was about LSU quarterbacks over the years. You hit him with Jamarcus Russell, maybe. Let's see. Let's get to the rest of these. Timeout time. It seemed that Kelly took a CEO approach to coaching and as a result wanted to be a corporate type. He appeared to show up 12 Saturdays a year. And sometimes know. not even. <laughs> <laughs> and that's debatable that it was 12. Man, you know what? There's a lot of ways to win win games. Brian Kelly isn't the first head coach that took the CEO approach. Yeah. But if you're going to take that approach, you have to make sure that you properly build your infrastructure to support that approach. Right. And right. I'm not so sure that he did that. That he did not do. That, that was one that of the keys. In, in the article I wrote today, that was one of the things I mentioned, Sean, is is one of the things Marcus Freeman has to do is that seven-point thing is you got to build a championship staff. Yeah. Because I don't hear, how, care how good of a head coach you are, you have to build a championship. Urban Meyer understood the importance of it. Great coaches aren't afraid of being surrounded by other great people. They embrace that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, Lou Holtz doesn't hire Barry Alvarez. He doesn't hire Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer doesn't hire Ryan Day or yeah. or, or Tom Herman or Chris Ash or, you know, Dabo doesn't hire Brent Venables and keep him as long as he did. If he was afraid of having a dynamic personality that could challenge him or maybe even be liked by more players than he was liked, you don't keep Brent Venables around as long as you did. No, you don't. And so, to me, that that's what that's those are the un, those are the question marks. I don't have any questions about what Marcus Freeman is going to do as a coach when it's on the practice field or the organization of practice or, you know, handling in-game decisions. Like, I'm not really worried about that stuff. Yeah. It's the tougher stuff. Is can you hire the right people? Can you can you do you know like Vince? One of, Vince was on ESPN today. It was so awesome. But like uh, he asked, one of the questions he asked is, "What's your what's your philosophy on?" coaching hires yeah because like to me that if, if that's not right then the rest of this ultimately at the end of the day is not going to matter when it comes yeah. to the championship that's so and, true and his answer was phenomenal i mean i loved his answer it was great yeah and the irish fan says you have to be somewhat of a ceo at Notre Dame, sure. and he is a top fortune 500 football school yeah you I mean, can't just be a football coach in Notre Dame, yeah. Sean. You know that. You it's can't different. just – right. Yeah, it's different. If you coach at a D3 school, literally the only thing you got to worry about is football. Mm-hmm. If you coach at a Mac school, 90% of your job is just coaching football, if not more. When you coach in Notre Dame, you got to balance a lot more, a lot more. 
when you think about the balance, and he was asked about how to balance, I love that the reporter said that being the father of six myself, you know, how do you intend to balance, you know, being a father, being a husband, and being the head coach of Notre Dame? I thought his answer was absolutely in that position, you can't be successful without mm-hmm. the support starting at home. Yeah. And it starts with his wife. It starts with the structure at home. And like he said, there's certain things that are important that I'm just going to miss in my children's lives. Yeah. And I have to be able to deal with that. And we have to be able to communicate and know that. And that's why, I think, that's why I think him being around Mike Elson is going to help him. Because oh, there were times Mike Elson couldn't be at things for his kids. He just couldn't. Yeah. And that's when you saw Kurt Heinisch showing, you know, taking his uh, – you remember that? I mean, it seems like forever ago, but it was Kurt Heinisch. Took one of his daughters to a father-daughter dance because he couldn't be there because of recruiting. Like, you build up that kind of family, then, okay, your son may not be – you may not be around your son as much, but you know yeah. what? He's going to be around a lot. He's going to have a lot of big brothers. Yeah. When you think about how often Mike Elson has his daughters around the Notre Dame football players. Right. Like sometimes he's not there, but she's got her big brothers that can be there to help out with things like that. Right. Yeah, I agree. And and, and th- that's where I think a- another area where Mike Elson is going to be a tremendous asset for Marcus. Because I think Marcus Freeman wants to be a good dad and a good husband. I think that is important to him. But just because it's important to you doesn't mean you're always going to know how to handle it. And if he's the hard worker that I think he is, he's going to need some people around him to say, hey, man, shut it down. Go home. Right. Hey, yeah. go to your daughter's recital. She yeah. only gets one of these a year. We got the workout tonight. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's when you know you got people that you can trust around you. Yeah. And, and you know, because then you start having marital problems. You start having problems with your kids. Then that affects your job. That affects your job. Absolutely. Because these guys are still human beings. Yes. At the end of the day, they're still human beings. Tommy Gunn says, guys, and this goes back to our earlier conversation. I know how you feel on the situation, but at some point – if Kyle's heart is set on coming back for another year, do you give in? If you're a head coach at Notre Dame, you t- if Kyle Hamilton walks in and says, I want to come back and I'm the head coach, it's part of my French. I'm telling him, kid, you are the- – no. No. Mm-hmm. No. For what? Like, we would love to have you back on this team. But no. The right. best thing for you is to go to the NFL. Right. Like, move on. Like, we understand that you love your brothers. You love the school. Look, the best thing for you is to go to the NFL. I will say this, though. If you tell him that, and he is adamant about wanting to come back, you have to – I mean, he's – Kyle's like 20, 21 years old. Yeah. He's an adult. You know, he's a kid the way we refer to him as kids, but he's Mm -hmm. still technically an adult. And it, and if if he's dead set on that, then I would eventually embrace him to come back. But I would yeah. make sure that he's real. You got to be careful that you 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 don't allow his words and his desires to to cause you to to stop looking at what's best for him. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're going to treat him like a man, then you need to let him make grown yeah. man decisions. Yeah. And if you if you share with him. Hey, listen, do this, 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 and this. You need to do that. You need to make sure this is going on. And he still says, Coach, I understand all that. I've thought about all that. I went back and talked to my parents. I talked to my advisors. I did all that kind of stuff. They understand the risk. I understand the risk. But I think you're doing something special, and I want to be a part of it. And I'm going to look back in 40 years, and and if I'm not able to be a part of this, that's the one regret I'm going to have. More than yeah. you know, you know, money is this, and I got a Notre Dame degree. I'm going to make money no matter what I do. 
right? Then yeah, you say okay, but you got to make it. You got to make it to where he's got to go home, talk to his family, make sure you know everybody's on board, and go through those hurdles. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Kyle's going to no. plead like that. It's so funny, man, because I remember Coach K talking about the conversation he had with Zion Williamson immediately after they lost in the Elite Eight to Michigan State. He said he came into the office the next day, and Zion Williamson came in his office and said, Coach, I'm coming back next year. Like, I don't I don't want to go out like that. <laughs> and he said as much on the inside as he was jumping up and down, he had to tell him, kid, you're the number one pick in the NBA draft. There's no way I'm letting you just come back for that. Right. Like, like, no. Right after the game, yes. But yes. if two weeks go by and he's still feeling that he's still feeling that way, then the conversation changes. Well, obviously he didn't come back for another conversation in two. Weeks. Right. That's the whole point. You've got to make him jump through some hurdles first. If you're truly yeah. looking out for him, you got to make him jump through some hurdles first. Yeah, Anthony Solomon. Yes, I did. I did DX. Uh, your buddy Reed. Yeah. You know, I was ready to, you know, go at all of his questions. I saw how he disrespected the state of Indiana. I saw how he talked about Notre Dame not winning titles in the next five years, all of that. I was ready to answer every statement he had, but the, my brother gave me some wisdom, and, I, you know, I yielded to that wisdom in the situation. So, no, you won't be seeing his comments for the rest of the show, which probably will last maybe another 10 minutes because I really want to get through some of these. We keep saying that, keep pushing it back. I'm getting a little hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, which we talked about this last night, right? We posed the question: Which unit, after 15 more practices preparing for the bowl game, do you think is going to walk out and look different? Like just kind of wow you, mm -hmm. like whoa, mm -hmm. practices really helped. I went with receivers last night. Kind receivers. of that way, yeah. Now my question is, which unit are you most interested in seeing? Secondary. Hmm. The whole yeah. secondary. Yeah. 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 How do you think that plays out? Uh, do you think – will there be competition or do you think it will just be a continual flow of what we've seen with rotations on the back end specifically? I think it's going to look the same like it looked at the end of the season. I think the only thing that could change is if some kid just has a great, just a great 15 practices and you're like, we mm -hmm. got to find a way to get this kid on the field some way. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I can see something like that, but you know, the, 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 the bowl time for, for every bowl game is different, right? Your purpose of every bowl game is different. There are years when you are going to say, Hey, um, this is about getting ready for next year. Yeah. You've got some guys sitting out, you know, you've 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 had some guys that have been struggling and and you know, like like if Jack Cohn was not playing well in the month of November, just really struggling, I would say, you know what, like and you lost two or three games, but you're still in a bowl game, I'd say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe it is time to make that change. Kind of like what we saw in 2014, where Ev was struggling down the stretch and really not playing well and they were losing a bunch of games. Say, hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give Malik a shot, right? And 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 have that rotation. Every circumstance is different. And so, but in this instance, you have the new coach, you have to get a win. It's imperative for recruiting. It's imperative for your team's momentum. It's all that kind of stuff. You're doing what it takes to win. 
And you'll do some practices early on to get those young guys some work. But the only way you play a young guy is if you if that guy went out and earned it like this kid can help us win. And I think those would be the things. Now, are there some positions where I would consider changing starters? Yeah. But because I think that guy would give them a better chance to win, not because, you know, like if I'm benching Kane Madden, it's not going to be because it's time to get ready for next year. Because whatever we feel about Kane Madden as a player – that kid worked his butt off, kept his mouth shut, and and, mm-hmm. and tried. He tried hard. It was never an effort thing. He just didn't no. get the job done. But if I'm going to bench Kane Madness, because I think Rocco Spindler or John Dirksen or whoever else gives us a better chance to beat Oklahoma State, not because, well, we got to get ready for Ohio State. You have the rest of July, February, March, April, May, June, July, and all of August camp to get ready for Ohio State. Right, right. Now it's about do what you got to do to beat Oklahoma State. Let's see. I have to answer Tommy Guns. Just so you know, what's that drink that Malik is advertising up there when he's there? It's called Anora Whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com. Premium American Whiskey. That's where we are featured and sponsored by Anora Whiskey right here in the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Trying to catch up on some of these comments, bro, and then we can get out of here. Let's see. Yes, I do remember Lou Holtz grabbing the face mask of several of his players. Yeah. So when Brian Kelly was storming on the sidelines, I really didn't, you know, that's for me. I grew up in an era where my baseball coach and my football coach pretty much tore you a new one. Right. Just about every practice. So I, I feel like I have no problem like with the purple face Brian Kelly in theory. It's just yeah. sometimes there's a time and a place where it's like, hey, man, let the kid get back to the bench first. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you know, I mean, that's part of it. it that's something that bothered me. Now, going after David Grimes the way that he did, um, the picture of him flipping off Tommy Reese after an interception. You right. know that that the guy from the South Bend Tribune put out that kind of thing, and you know, some of that stuff crossed the line. But all all coaches, I think, that have that are fiery guys are going to cross the line from time to time. And you just after the emotions wear down, you you apologize and you move on. What do you think about this movement we might see out west with Cristobal going to Miami? Um, reports are that Chip returns possibly to Oregon, which will leave the UCLA job open. Uh, Rand has been rumored for that. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how it plays out because I thought Chip had gotten the UCLA pro- program to a point where, okay, they can win eight, nine games a year. Yeah, and I mean they've been doing they've had they've been having some success in the recruiting. I mean, um, not in the recruiting trail, but like the transfer portal thing too. Yeah. They've got some transfer. Yeah. I mean, both of their stud running back or not stud running, both of their really good running backs, Britton Brown and Zach Charbonnet, were both Charbonnet. transfers. Yeah, right. Britton Brown came from Duke, and Zach uh, Charbonnet came from uh, uh, Michigan. And he you know he's doing a good job with this with this current group. You know he's he's putting some decent classes together, and you know I just I think the problem is at Oregon. I just I don't know if Chip is the recruiter he was back then. And and I don't know if he has the kind of people skills. Like the reason Chip was successful at Oregon, he was just he was in a universe of his own as a coach, schematically and offensively and all that. Yeah. The game has changed in the last decade. Everybody's doing that stuff now. Has the cool worn off for Oregon? I think so. Because the cool was revolved around success, though. Yes, yes. That's the thing that everybody misses. Did kids go to Oregon because it was cool? 
Yes, but if Oregon was a five and seventeen, those kids aren't going to Oregon because it's cool. Yeah, right. I mean, otherwise, why go to Bama? They are the most pl- other than Penn State. They have the most plain, generic uniforms in college football. They haven't changed at all over the years. Right. They go there because at the end of the day, if you're a winner, you don't. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a cool uniform, but I- I'd rather win in the like a uniform that's kind of dull than get my butt kicked, but look, you know, really good doing it. So I, I think for Oregon, if they start winning again, it'll be cool again. I mean, that that at the end of the day, that's what's going to boil down to, Sean, is is can can you be successful and can you win? If you win, you'll attract recruits. But I mean, like right now, you look at the you look at the um, the twenty four seven sports composite rankings. Oregon has the number nine class in the country. And they just lost a kid, so you know that they would have been up you know a little bit higher, but. And got a higher ranked class in Clemson, a higher ranked class in Michigan, a higher ranked class in LSU, higher ranked class in Oklahoma. But you know that was a lot of it because Marco, Marco, Chris, Mario Cristobal was a really good recruiter. Yeah, yeah. It's not Chip, right? And and so I just I don't know if that's the move. I I don't know. I mean, it's rare. I don't even know if we could ever closest we could ever can think of is a Bill Snyder. Where a guy leaves, comes back, and returns it. But even then, he didn't return it to the, I mean, when Bill Snyder had that program rolling, they were playing for Big 12 champion. I mean, remember those Michael Bishop teams that were playing in the Big 12 title games? I mean, he had some really good football teams. Yeah, they always came up short, though. Right. They but the, they were still, I mean, the they were always they achieving were. beyond their talent level. They were. They were. He had them back to eight and four, you know, stuff like that. But, but I mean, you just, I feel like you, you have to establish who you want to be as a program and find someone that can lead you there. And just trying to recreate the magic from a decade ago with Chip Kelly, I just don't feel like that would be would make a ton of sense for either of them. If I'm Chip Kelly, man, you got a nice thing at UCLA. Keep seeing what you can do with it. Yeah. It's assuming UCLA wants to even keep them. But you know, but again, UCLA right now is has the number 38 class in the country and they got 12 commits. I'm sorry if you can't recruit at UCLA, you're 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 not going to recruit at Oregon. I mean, yeah. Oregon's a great situation, but UCLA's a pretty nice situation too. Not not as good as Oregon, but my point is they they don't have to be nine like Oregon, but they can't be thirty eight. No, I totally agree with that. So as we get ready to close, finally, on this long day, or the crossover, the Irish crossover between the Irish breakdown. And the Lucky Lefty podcast, we thank everybody that has tuned in and lended us your ear for the last three and a half to four hours. We truly appreciate your support of both podcasts. Go ahead, subscribe, share, like, hit the notification bell so you'll get all of our content and know when we drop new content or when we will be going live. We'll be we'll be live tomorrow. By the way, somebody asked this. We'll be live again tomorrow at twelve thirty. Tomorrow will be our uh, "Who Should Come Back, Who Should Go" podcast because we we were going to do it last week, but then mm-hmm. some some stuff came up, <clears throat> and uh, now we're going to do it this week. So we will do that tomorrow. So we'll you're going to give your thoughts on just kind of what we're hearing, but more so who we think should or shouldn't come back. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I actually got, I actually spoke to someone that is a scout for the team here in Chicago, and they are very high on Kyron Williams. Yes. And it's not a great running back class either. And that's the thing Kyron has to understand. Next year's running back class is going to be a lot better than this year's running back class. And I just, 
a little preview, I will not be advocating for Kyron to come back because I'm going to look at it from what's best for the kids and the team, yeah. but more so what's best. If I was advising the player, that's the approach that I'm going to take tomorrow when I talk about what I think should happen. I'm going to remove myself. I'm not a Notre Dame football coach. That's not the angle. It's if I'm advising these kids, here's what they should do. Here's what Notre Dame should want to do on some situations, but a lot of the NFL stuff that's going to be on who should come back. Yeah. And Tommy Guns, I, I see you. What I can tell you is the Chicago Bears continue to compile a list of candidates. Ryan Day is at the top of that list. The list should be shortened by the time they play their last game, and they will immediately make a move. Uh, they won't be petty like the Miami Hurricanes did Manny Diaz. <laughs> you can expect an immediate move at the end of their last game of the season, and Ryan Day is at the top of their list for obvious reasons. Um, I'm a little bit higher on them than my brother Brian Driscoll is, but on who? On Day? Oh, Ryan Day. Oh, I think Ryan Day is a really good coach. I just don't know how good of a coach he is. Yeah. That's all I've ever said. I mean, because, again, he hasn't been there very long, and he inherited a pretty good situation, and he hasn't done anything that Urban Meyer didn't already do was kind of where I was coming from. But to me, I think he's got a chance to be a great coach because he relates to the players, he recruits hard and all that kind of stuff. He just has to show me he can coach a little better in some of these, some of these bigger games, in my opinion. The other thing with Ryan Day, too, is – at the end of the day, he's got a tough decision because some guys are just NFL coaches, right? Like that just – but yeah. with Ryan Day, he seems to really relate well to young people, and he seems to really take a lot of pride in developing young people. And I think that I think the decision to leave the NFL is going to be a lot harder for him than a lot of people think. Yeah, if you're, if you're a person that's really big into relationships, the NFL is not for you. I've heard that Ryan Day really, really – does a lot in regards to building up his people. Now he may now he also strikes me as someone who's smart enough to understand that it, it's different in the NFL. I'm yeah. not going, you know, but I think he takes a lot of pride in developing young people, um, and that's one of the reasons I have a lot of respect for him. I just don't know if he's an elite coach yet. I mean, you gotta you gotta win something gotta for win me something. to, you know, you get that uh, and, absolutely. And I'm sorry that team should not have been a ten and two team this year. In, no, in my opinion, no, no. So. That's it. There was one. Could you bring up at the 7 yeah. mark, Steve Jones? Are you okay bringing that one up? Because I want to I want to thank Steve. Steve Jones said he just joined the website yesterday. He's already ordered an IB t-shirt, and he really enjoys IB. Been an Irish fan for over, year, over 40 years, excited about the new coach. So are we, Steve. So Shout are we. Shout out to you, Steve Jones. Thank you for yeah. joining us. Hashtag IB Nation. Hashtag LL Nation. Yep. We appreciate you. Yep. Sean oh, Powell is just subscribe, Sean. There you go. Subscribe. Great stuff, fellas. We appreciate you, Sean. And your name is spelled just like mine. Yeah. That's how you spell the name, Sean. We don't do W's. We don't do <laughs> or S E A N, which is more to me seen. <laughs> that's true. But, I know. think that's the original. I think that's the original way because it's an Irish name. So I do believe yeah. S E A N is the original way. Uh, it just that it seems to me kind of like, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just showing love to the origin. That's how do you spell bean? B e a n. It's not bon, right? You're you're correct. I'm just you're saying correct, it, it's it's challenging. It's challenging. <laughs> I mean, why is it Sean there? But I don't see no H and no, S e a n. Where's the yeah. H? This isn't France. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Add, 
Just add things in there. <laughs> it's the right way. Let's let's get this. Oh, I got Joseph Dobrzynski. How optimistic are you guys about the development of cornerbacks with how Freeman and Mickens developed the corners at Cincinnati? I am optimistic about how they identify cornerbacks mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. That, for me, when I look at the Cincinnati, they identify and then develop. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I, I think I don't think corners going to be a problem at all. No. I mean, not only just you talk about identifying – Yes, they got to identify the right players. I love Ryan Barnes. I like the class they put together last year. This mm-hmm. class is, is just as good, if not better. If they get Devin Moore back in the fold, I really yeah. love this group. Uh, they're bringing in talent, and I have no – I mean, Mike Mickens got here because he can coach. That was never the question. Right. And if anything, I mean, I, I know the corners have had their moments, but I think Mike's done a good job when you consider what he's had to work with. You know what I mean? Like Chance Clarence Lewis was thrust into the lineup a lot earlier than he should would have been on a, on a, on any other top five program. Right. And he's not playing corner for any of the teams in the playoff right now right. because he'd be so much younger than all the guys that are playing or not as dynamic. Ne- next year would be the time where he would start coming into his own. Yeah. Right. Well, Mike Mickens has been able to get a lot more out of Clarence than maybe they should have. And now that Clarence is going to be a junior next year, he's got a lot of experience. I think he's going to be a better player, whether it's a safety or corner or whatever. And but yes, he, I think he did a good job with Cam Hart. I think yeah. he look and, and Nick McLeod was a guy that I thought was a great pickup, but we also said this is a kid that's limited because he's going to struggle with certain things. And he helped eliminate a lot of those things. When you can, when you can work the kinks out of a fifth year senior, you're doing a good job because those guys are usually kind of setting their ways. Help them get to the NFL. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. so I like the job Mike Mickens has done. Now, he's got to take it to another level, but that's yeah. going to re- – corner is one of those positions where at the end of the day you can coach all you want. When you play the best team in the street, I don't care how good of a coach you are. If you don't have – you don't have really good athletes or really good players. I mean – Yeah, won't make you're, a you're difference. Just, yeah, not against the good teams. Yeah. I mean, I don't care how flawless your technique is. If you're running a four six five and you're trying to cover Jamison Williams, you're not going to win. You're going to yeah. get beat. Miss TAs 1987. Thank you. Appreciate you. Matt B, our guy. Thank you. Nolan Sanchez. Ty Chan is the new Quentin Nelson. Uh, that'll be all right with me. Yeah. Uh-uh. Ty Chan's a good player. I don't see that. Hey, man, I would love to be wrong. Stop. Don't rain on it. Don't do that. Don't I mean, I'm always going to be honest. You didn't bring me on here not to be honest, <laughs> right? Matter of fact, you said before I came on that that's exactly why you brought me on. That's true. But I will say this. If I'm wrong, I'll be real happy about it. Yeah. Because we our whole show yesterday was like we had to admit to LL Nation, Malik and I, like we were totally wrong about Georgia. So we're all about admitting when we're wrong. Hmm. What were you wrong about? What were we wrong about? Yeah. Oh, we just felt like they they were having a dream season. Hmm. We, that, that's all we said. We were like, yo, we know Kirby. We know the quarterback is subpar, but it just seems like they're having one of those seasons. And See, you need friends that would have told you like a month ago that Georgia wasn't as good as people thought that they were. I mean, if you had friends like that, you know, you might have been okay. No, oh, wait, you do. You do I, I have a friend like that. The debate, the debate was never about how good they were. Mm-hmm. The debate was about them having a magical season. Like, I've seen teams that really weren't as good as the magical mm-hmm. season they've had. Yeah. It's just a magical well, season. And thing. that's kind of what I was thinking about, Sean, when when Baylor beat Oklahoma State the way they did. I was kind of mm-hmm. thinking, like, is this a 
destiny season for Notre Dame. Like that's kind of how I, I looked at it, right? Like sometimes it's just everything goes in your favor. When when the the problem the problem, however, for Georgia was they never got challenged in the area that was going to give them problems. You know, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that's what the issue was always going to be. If they yeah. played a team that could throw the ball, they were going to be in, they were going to be in trouble. And it's only a couple of teams, yeah, in America that can do that. I see you searching right. Green Nine, sniping at me. Sean had already named GA. I did. I was like, dude, these dudes have pixie. Dude, they got the pixie dust, and I, I think they're gonna. But they still have a chance to win a national championship. In spite of everything that's happened, I look look for them to have a rematch. I don't know if they can change anything because Kirby Smart is probably not going to make the proper adjustments. And I think Bryce Young comes out and throws for 400 again if they face Georgia again. Now, being without Mechie probably would be an adjustment, but yeah. Yeah. Keevan McPherson. Yeah, I just saw it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm pulling. Yeah, it's a it's a card that that um, LSU sent in the recruits that basically is just Brian Kelly and his career accolades. You know how just selling Brian Kelly and his greatness, as opposed to you know the fact that LSU won a title two years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, there you go. Living easy life. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for your service, sir. Yes, sir. Semper Fi. Matter of fact, in the Irish can, Georgia doesn't get through Michigan. I mean, it's the battle of subpar quarterbacks, in my opinion. We'll see. Royce Stepagny, Big 12 is going to surprise a lot of people. Oh, with the new additions, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, Baylor, Oklahoma State, UCF are all on the rise. TCU, Iowa State, West Virginia. Um, this could be, yeah, they're going to have to get some big wins, though. And crossover, you know, they're going to have to beat some uh, good teams in other conferences to get their respect and to up the respect for the Big 12 because right now, you know, the CFP and the committee have pretty much shown you. Even though Oklahoma State with the win more than likely – more than likely has a good argument to get in over Cincinnati. It would have been interesting. Before I let you go, did you see the breakdown of what the top eight would have looked like if we had CFP expansion mm-hmm. and it would have been a rematch between Cincinnati and Notre Dame? That, but you know what I hated about that is they did a they did an expansion and they didn't even use a model that is anyone's talking about, really. Yeah. I'm actually going to have two articles out this week, Sean. You're going to love this. I'm going to have one of – what would the postseason look like if they adopted my playoff expansion model or my mm-hmm. playoff model? And then what would it look like if they adopted the 12? And that one was interesting. And I'll give you a little highlight. If they did the one that the committee has talked about, yeah. it would be – I'm trying to find it here. It would be Notre Dame would play Pitt in the first round because Notre Dame would be the five seed. And then, the, and if they beat Pitt, they would then get a rematch with Cincinnati in the, in the quarters. Gotcha. And then you'd have, uh, you'd have Ohio state against Utah. You'd have Baylor against Michigan state and you'd have Ole Miss against Oklahoma state. And then the winner of the Ohio state, uh, Utah game would then go play Georgia. 
the winner of the Baylor Michigan State game would play Michigan, and then the winner of the Ole Miss Oklahoma State game would play Alabama. So that's what okay. it would look like. Well, but it was it, it got to the same thing, which is Notre Dame would have shot at a rematch of Cincinnati. Right. Big Ten, I could go with the Big Ten being better than the SEC if you're looking at the totality rather than right. the top teams. Right. All right, we'll be out of here. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Check out the Irish Breakdown podcast. 12.30 tomorrow. 12.30. And lucky Who's going to come back? All right. We appreciate you guys. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me on the last couple of days, man. I've enjoyed it, as hey, always. Here. Thanks for having me on, as always. Take care, everybody.